Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Well, guess who's back? Back again. Well, I'm not sure if either one of us is exactly slim shady, but you are here with Dan Morang and Dave Deckard from BlazersEdge.com for the Blazers Edge podcast. We are happy to be back with you. Oh, we've had other podcasts in the interim from other people, but we've not been with you since December, what was it, Dan? 19th, pre-Christmas. De- oh, December 19th, which seems like an eternity ago now. In that interim, well, they were they were in the midst of a six-game losing streak when we last talked. It had not culminated. We did not know they would lose six, or we might have been a little bit more dreary. Uh, but what has transpired, a six-game losing streak followed by six games where they alternate between wins and losses. Not They're kind of off the schneid, but they're not really back on the bike yet. They keep winning one and losing one. It's the cumulative record, though, Dan... 13 losses in their last 17 games. What in the world is going on? And the, the thing is, of those four wins, you're talking wins against the Kings, the Timber Kitties, the Lakers, and the one, I guess, decent game in that, which we kind of hope would spur them forward, which led to the six-game losing streak, was against the Thunder. Yeah, but, okay, okay, so you can't, no, don't just, we got two kitties for Christmas. So first of all, they're really feisty. Second of all, they're really cute. So that's not an insult. <laughs> Cats are much better than wolves. So they've got to come up with another, the, the blunder wolves or something like that would be okay. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, go, go right ahead. They, they, the big win, the comeback win. Now, mind you, to, you know, that was, that was at home, uh, unexpected, Oklahoma City, great moment. As you said, everybody was going to turn the corner. The Blazers are back, and now they're back losing. Uh, so uh, we, we've established that this is really bleak. Damian Lillard's injury is part of it, obviously. What else is going on? You know, there was a lot has transpired. I mean, it doesn't seem like, I mean, 17 games really is kind of how long we've been out of this for the last couple of weeks. And a lot has happened. I mean, you've got Damian Lillard going down, C.J. McCollum taking the role of, of leader, both as the floor general and the leading scorer. You've got guys that are stepping up. You've got a complete defensive overhaul. And then you come back and you get Damian Lillard back and you're not quite sure what's going to happen. You had discussions about, is the team better with without Damian Lillard? Here's, you know, shortcut to the answer, no. But a lot of things have transpired in these last three weeks that, had we brought this up in you know September October, you would have thought we were crazy. Well, we did bring this up in September October. We dropped this up in in June and July <laughs> that this team was headed for a reckoning. But but yeah, okay, I'll, I'll take a swing then if you're not going to. I mean, the, the defense different, better, still not adequate. They're not 
defending people. I, they, they actually managed to hold some people under 100. I'll give them that. Dallas, yay. I mean, <laughs> congratulations. You kept the Mavericks from scoring. Uh, Memphis, also yay, injured. I think they got a little assist from rosters in in that sense. Toronto, keeping them to 95, was probably pretty good, but... But uh, they can't they can't stop anybody. The the offense, the primary thing was against Detroit last night, scored 124 points in double overtime against the Pistons, who are not scorers and still lost. The offense could not go much better and they still lost. Yeah. The the only thing that I can point to in the difference is this something you and I have discussed at length for a while now is the difference between. The old style system and let's the, which Coach Stotts has, has been employing since his time in Dallas and, and brought here with a different roster composition to what we saw in that in that span when Damian Lillard was out when it was much more aggressive. Uh, it was something that we haven't seen really in the past year and a half before in that they dictated on the defensive end. Now there were certainly lapses, there were certainly holes and. Things happen, but when you literally flip your entire defensive scheme that you've been prepping for and is familiar with in what amounts to the middle of the season, there's going to be hiccups. But I think there was a lot of promising things that came out of that. And now that Lillard stepped back into that, I don't really know what to say. I mean, you look at the Pistons game and there was remnants of that aggressive defense. But if there was ever a time that I wanted to see a more aggressive approach... It was against a team that really focuses on a pick-and-roll combo between Drummond and Jackson, that that's their primary bread and butter. If you can take one of those two out of the game, which neither one were taken out at any point in time, with the exception of Jackson and foul trouble, then you might actually see something come to fruition out of that, and it just didn't happen. It didn't materialize until it was too late. Yeah, and, you know, that's been a chronic issue for the Blazers during this year and especially during this streak. I mean, if you look at leading scorers for various teams that they've faced, you you get a laundry list of the best players in the league, and you're going to say, duh, of course, but it, it's regular. It's on the regular with Portland. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins, Kawhi Leonard, DeMarcus Cousins again with 55, Kevin Durant, I'm going back in time here, Russell Westbrook, Blake Griffin, Paul George, Marcus Saul, uh, Hassan Whiteside, James Harden, the number one option of the other team, they never stop. They just cannot hold anybody down. Uh, and, and the best hope is that the Blazers, number one and number two options, end up better. And that happens, you know, a reasonable amount of the time. It's not like Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum or slouches on the offensive end. But their offense is translating into great stats, but not wins because they cannot take away what the other team does. And really, they did that for a little stretch when Lillard was out. You look at the stat lines that Carl Anthony Towns... LaMarcus Aldridge, which you can debate, you know, with with or without Kawhi, and DeMarcus Cousins. Cat was 3 of 15. LaMarcus took three shots, and Boogie ended up shooting, I think, 41 or 42%. And the Spurs game, which the Blazers had a legitimate chance of winning until the fourth quarter happened, it's like they just lost their minds defensively of what they had accomplished for three and a half quarters. But... They showed that they could be aggressive. They could double the post, get the ball out of what was 
or assumed to be the best player's hands and make them struggle all night long. Lo and behold, they're in the game. Even with a subpar offense with Lillard out. I mean, you look at the difference in offensive and defensive rating with Lillard out. Yeah, the defense is, is staggeringly better if you just look at the rating, but the offense drops off like you wouldn't believe. So yeah. th- that kind of compensation, I mean, as good as the defense is, you're still not talking about an all-world defense. Now, the, the game against the Warriors, they gave up 125 points in that game, but it was a game where it the, the defense, in, in my eyes, actually performed well. You're just talking about a generational team that is going to hit shots on you, even if you make play one, two, and three. They're, they've got options, you know, D through Z. Yeah, and I think everybody will excuse the Spurs and Warriors losses. I mean, come on. But, you know, losing to the Pistons at home... Uh, losing to Sacramento ever, <laughs> you know, that yeah. kind of thing, uh, losing to Denver handily, uh, and really struggling in a lot of these wins as well. I mean, the Blazers maybe have had a couple of easy wins, but you've never had secure wins, and they just don't look like a team that's in control. I think we can agree, though, if the Blazers can defend even a little bit, they have a really legitimate chance. They're just not defending at all. And, yeah. you know... That's we can exactly debate. It. Yeah, it, we it, can debate all day long whether Lillard is. We'll we'll talk about that in a minute. But before we get there, um, if this pace continues, if they continue to win forty-one percent of that game of their games, that leaves them with thirty-four wins at the end of the season. Does that surprise you? You know, when the number came out. Again, this year, we, I believe it was 46 and a half. I was hesitant against that because it seemed like, eh, if, even if the team holds solid, that's that's a tough one to go against. So, 34? Yikes. I mean, last year's team, I picked for 36 wins. So, I mean, I, I think I had 35 and a half, which is why, you know, you play, play the over on that last season with that number. But 34 wins... If you look at the projections, you're looking at a team that's going to be 14 games behind the number seven seed. By the way, that 34 wins is going to put you in the playoffs to play the Warriors in the first round. Oh, jeez. So, and you know what it'll be? Oh, they made the playoffs again. If it's 34 wins, you don't get to say you made the playoffs. I mean, you you can say it as a technical matter. Like, yeah, I was on Star Trek. I was an extra in a red shirt and You're got shot shirt. in second two. <laughs> you know, it's like in frame two of this, I died by phaser. But I... I guess you can claim to be in Star Trek, but you were no William Shatner. But I mean, yeah, if you're the Trailblazers here, you have to legitimately worry if you're, even if you get on a run and, and get things going, the Kings, the Nuggets, the Pelicans, and the Lakers are all within shouting distance right now, within a game or two. Yeah, and you're, the, the problem is not the number of the seed. I mean, eight is a little disappointing, but hey, it is the playoffs. The problem is that the vast gulf between you and number seven and the number of teams that are in your neighborhood, like you turned into the wrong part of town, guys. It's like you you, you thought you were going to get, you were the puppy that was going to get adopted into the, into the mansion, and you ended up in the dog pound. And you may be one of the better looking dogs in the pound, but this, this ain't Kansas, Toto. Uh, they, the Blazers have been blown somewhere where, frankly, I am blown away that, that it has been this bad. I expected, like I said, there'd be a reckoning, but I expected it to look better than this. Yeah, I mean, you, you take a look at just where they're standing right now. They're six games behind the Thunder. 
That means the Thunder have to lose six in a row. The Blazers have to win six in a row just to catch up. I mean, just just to get even. So, unless Russell to the Westbrook seven seed. to the seven to, to the seven seed. seed, I mean, that's that's staggering. I mean, that, that amounts to you know essentially a ten game difference to what you have to overcome. That's yeah. insane. I mean, you're you're almost you're within a couple games, one or two games right now from needing a near miracle to make it past the eight seed as your ceiling. That's yeah. insane. And, and it's January. <laughs> like you are locked into eight seed at the best in January. Your year is not going well. But let's okay, before we get accused of, you know, pasting on and, and being negative and what have you. By the way, uh, 13 losses in 17 games merits a little bit of critique. Uh, but let's talk about some <laughs> of the positives that have happened. Uh as you said, C.J. McCollum has emerged. Uh, and I think, actually, he's looked pretty good, relatively decent on both ends, really, all things considered. I mean, McCollum's no, I don't know, Ricky Rubio. <laughs> but uh, he's uh, he's actually been fairly active on defense. His offense has been fantastic. It looks like he's being uh, being able to find his comfort zone as, as a point guard in kind of leading or facilitating the offense. He hasn't been, he hasn't, been seamless there but he looks better than he did last year to me or at the beginning of the year so i think cj has been a, a real positive through this what's incredible is if you look at cj mccullum's 11 games with damian lillard out 32 points nearly six assists and five rebounds on 55 percent effective field goal percentage so not only is he getting buckets he's doing it efficiently and effectively without additional help that's mm-hmm. that's essentially him as the one primary ball handler is the guy who is getting it done night in night out that's i mean you look at those kind of numbers those are staggering staggering numbers and on the other side of the ball defensively when you slide mccullum down to the point guard he's actually bigger stronger in I mean, just a more imposing presence at that position than lillard is lillard's a, a built guy but he gives up a couple inches and a couple pounds to McCollum. So by doing so, you get a little more size, a little more length, and then you throw in that Alan Crabb now is sliding at the two, who's bigger than a McCollum and gives you more length, more athleticism, a little more defensive acumen, and all of a sudden the Blazers' starting lineup looks like a very athletic and longer lineup when you throw in Aminu, Harkless, and Plumlee. Every one of those guys is active. Every one of those guys can get after it on the defensive end, and I think that translated when you saw the switch in scheme. So I think judging Lillard on that is a little unfair because I think if you put Lillard in the the position that McCollum was in with Crab alongside him, I think you'd see a lot of the same. But here's... Here's the judgment on Lillard that I think works. And um, let's leave the defense alone for a minute, I, although I do think CJ is better. But look, as you said, CJ sh- scoring a- incredibly efficiently and putting in 32 points a game. He is very talented, and so is Damian Lillard. I mean, if, if you put Al-Farouk Aminu or Alan Crabb or anyone else in that position, it would not happen the way it is happening for those two. But I think you can say that what Lillard is doing is a product of his position and role on the team 
in addition to being a product of his talent. In other words, the green light is huge. Uh, he knows the offense is his to do with what he wants. That allows him to score a lot. When you put a talented C.J. McCollum in that position, he can also score a lot. That does not diminish either one of their talents, but it may mean that what Lillard is doing is not quite as singular in that aggregate scoring aspect as we might have otherwise assumed. Yeah, I mean, right now McCollum has more 30-point games this season than he had all, all of his career so far. He's got nine 30-point games compared to eight, which is essentially saying he has nine 30-point games this year, eight 30-point games last year. But we're not we're <laughs> essentially halfway into the season now, and he's already at, you know, broken that level. So that shows you the, the, the level of scoring that McCollum has kind of taken to. Right. And to be fair, I mean, look, this is kind of the Russell Westbrook argument a little mm -hmm. bit in that people know that Russ is fantastic. People ask, can Russ play on a team with a bunch of other talented players where he has to moderate his offense and still be just as effective? I think it's fair to ask that about Lillard as well. I mean, is he that kind of championship caliber player in addition to being a obviously all-star scorer and i think mccullum's scoring streak when lillard was when lillard was out does reflect that maybe this is there's a lot of scoring going on that is i don't want to say replaceable but at least the blazers can compensate for it if lillard isn't doing it yeah i, I... You're right. Replaceable is no, yeah, the wrong wrong way to go about it. But I, I get the sense of what you're saying there in that if you put somebody with essentially the same talent level or skill level with the same green light, then, yeah, they're going to go out there and get theirs. To me, the, the most impressive thing about this is that McCollum is doing this by himself or was doing this by himself without the aid of that other guy who's make or break, however you want to decide it on the same level offensively and yet still doing it and doing it at a more effective and efficient level than Lillard was. I think that's, I don't, I don't say that as a negative towards Lillard. I just think it's impressive what McCull what McCollum has accomplished without Lillard on the floor. Right. And someone will say, well, Dave, you just talked about the offense not being as good with Lillard, the team offense not being as good with Lillard out. Yes. Granted, we're, nobody's saying this is a championship team. No. Nobody's saying, that they have the players around them. We're just saying, looking through the lens through which we're forced to look because of this roster, Lillard, what he does, McCollum can also do. And Lillard is, uh, again, not replaceable, but uh, that, that scoring can be compensated for. Now, let's talk about those other guys. Alan Crabb, uh, we complained about him last time we talked, disappearing, disappearing. He disappears every once in a while still, but he had a fantastic game career high against Detroit. 12 of 15 shooting, 30 points. What did you see from Crabb that you liked last night? Last night in particular was what I had hoped to see from Crabb when Lillard went down. Was a, was a guy who was going to come in, zero hesitation, take the shots he needed to take from mid-range, coming off the curls, coming off the down screens, um, working off the pick and roll, which last night was the best I've ever seen him in that aspect. He caught off a, off a curl, put the ball on the floor, and finished with, with, with his left hand. I mean... There was plenty of people on Blazers Twitter last night who were just kind of wide-eyed about that. Like, I've never seen that from him before. That's a nice little wrinkle to the game. And that's the kind of level that, I mean, think, 
I think a lot of people, when they saw that last night, like that's what Alan Crabb got paid for this season, this off season was not necessarily 30 points, but taking the shots he needs to take in rhythm, zero hesitation, pure shooter, get buckets. I mean, that's what they were looking at. Is this, is the lack of that happening all the time? Is that more crab or is that rule? I think a little bit of both. I think Crab's one of those guys where I I hesitate to say this more. He's kind of like Nick Batum, where if that first shot goes, he he could be in for a good night. But I think he's one of those guys where his confidence can wane a little bit every now and then, and that can come back to bite him. But you saw it last night where he gets rolling, man. He is as pure a shooter as you can find. It's it's absolutely insane. So. Again, a little bit of both there, but really, it, he's kind of grown over the last couple of weeks. When Dame first went down, there were a couple of games where you're you're getting you know 35, 36 minutes from Crab, and he's giving you eight, nine, ten, eleven points. You can't be out there and be essentially the clear number two option on the floor with Lillard out and get eight, nine, ten, eleven points. I mean, is anybody else you know popping up in your head as the legit go-to option? when he's starting at the two over anyone else. I mean, Harkless is a nice player and all, but I still think even with Dame out, he's better suited to that number three, number four guy, whereas Crab's the guy that needs to step in there and be that guy that gets you that 15, 18 points a night with Lillard out, right? Yeah, I mean, there there is nobody else. And I know Mo has good games. I'm very appreciative of what he does. I know Aminu looks more comfortable in the offense. Mason Plumlee's becoming a hub of the offense with his passing and et cetera, et cetera. There, there is no one else who can be that second scorer. Uh, frankly, the third and fourth guys on Portland's team probably should be fourth, fifth, and sixth guys on most really good team. So yeah, I mean, basically the door could not get any wider. It is an archway that you could drive a truck through. And if crab can't step through it, something is wrong. And I'm glad he did. I I just, I, I think that sure. I mean, the part of that is him, but things are so confused on this team right now. I think as far as role, as far as playing time, as far as opportunity, there are just so many people at the same level of talent and trying to vie for the same positions that you just do not know whether Crab is supposed to score like that every night, whether he's going to even get that opportunity or those minutes. That's not necessarily his fault. Uh, he could, if he were more consistent, he could get them. But as it is, I mean, why why not Evan Turner? Why not have CJ and, and Dame just take all the shots? There are no really good answers to that and no really good defined thing for crab where you say look we need your 18 every night or we lose so go get them and i think until that emerges i think he'll have a a hard time being everything he's supposed to be yeah no i i think you're right in the sense that i mean you can't look to a guy like mason Plumley because he's like he's your swiss army knife he's your utility player with his as is everybody i mean we can cut that yeah. short i mean there just is nobody nobody yeah. nope 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 you, you go right down the line i mean the next guy might have been myers leonard but oh geez i mean there's <laughs> talk about up and down there's like up and disaster i mean that's that, that's basically what Myers put in and he's not stepping through that archway either. So yeah, there's no, you know who we should talk about though. Uh, 
Evan Turner, who much maligned and still not the most comfortable fit, which we knew we all knew going in. But I think Turner has been contributing better. Scoring, yeah, kind of, but just in his in every other part of the game, uh, I think he's become more of a facilitator. I think he's his defense. I mean, the Blazers relied on him to to shut down Reggie Jackson at the end of regulation in the first overtime uh, on against Detroit. I think that he has been stepping up and finding more of his comfort zone. Yeah, you know, and I mean this in the most complimentary manner possible. Evan Turner playing on this team is no longer an eyesore. It, it, it stuck out like a sore thumb early in the season. I mean, it was just really, really, it was to be honest. And I don't mean this in any kind of hyperbole. It was some of the worst basketball I'd seen in the past decade. It just, right. it just, and, and not just from Turner. It was, it was not just Turner. No, it, it was like everything it about what was going peg on. And, it wasn't square peg and round hole. It was square peg and garbage disposal. Yeah. So, I mean, that's basically, you know, he just does not fit. No, and credit to him for working through it and for Stotts putting him in a, in a position to succeed. And I think that boils down to getting him into his comfort zones more often. Instead of operating on a pick and roll at the three-point line where teams just aren't going to honor him, they're putting him more on the high post. Dane Carbop wrote a great article and, and, and did a video on it saying, hey, you know, getting him in the high post, getting him down low on the right block, getting him in mismatch. I mean, he's a big kid. I mean, you when he's playing the two or the three, there aren't many guys, and if you get a cross match on him, that can handle him. Physically, he's a big, strong guy who can move guys out of the way. He can get to his spots. He may only have two or three moves to go to, but they're two or three pretty decent moves. Now, he still has one of those plays every now and then where he'll dribble into the paint, you know, one on three, and get one of those ridiculous early shot clock mid-range pull-ups that just drive me crazy. But at the same time, like you said... Late in last game last night, it wasn't Lillard and McCollum that were on the floor defensively, and I think that was the first time I've ever seen both of them pulled at the same time. But it was Evan Turner and Alan Crabb that came out there defensively to help shut down Reggie Jackson. And the shot that Jackson hit in the, in the first overtime was a ridiculously difficult shot. Turner played phenomenal defense, and he's really been doing that for the past couple of weeks. He's picked up a lot of the primary threat if Aminu or Harkless isn't on the floor and done more than an admirable job, which is saying a lot compared to what he looked like defensively in the first month or so. And, and this gets back to something you brought up earlier, which is just simply height. For all the talent that the Blazers have, they're a little bit of a small team. I mean, they're 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 a little bit finesse. They're they're scoring. They're not intimidating. Uh, and, and at least with Turner and Crab out there, you get someone who's not mismatched by a couple inches. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I kind of like that move as well. I just wanted to give some kudos to to Turner because uh, he deserves a few after the early season. Uh, the other guy, I think, who deserves some kudos and who's still taking flack, uh, Mason Plumley, uh, obviously did not stop Drummond against Detroit and obviously has had some struggles. But he is out there moving. This, the new defense, I think, does pretty well for at least it takes advantage of some of his gifts as opposed to sticking him down one-on-one -on -one, defending a guy who's too big and too long for him uh he, he's not going to stop a lot of other centers one-on-one -on -one, but when he's moving around out there to trap hedge whatever you want to call it he he actually i think is effective his passing against detroit was so incredible blind. Oh my gosh, that overtime, I think it was, what was it, four or five, four of five shots that the Blazers made in that second overtime, I believe it was, were assisted by Mason 
Plumley, and there's no answer for that. Now, they cannot do that every play, but my gosh, when they have relied on him, he has come through, and I like what I have seen from Plumley lately. I mean, he, he was a bucket short of a, of a triple-double last night. I mean, it, 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 he, he almost got a triple-double, and the thing he fell short on was points. <laughs> you know, it, it's yeah. kind of a strange one. 12 assists. Well, I think he shot, shot four of 12 or something. But yeah, 12 assists. That's that's an insane number. A, a Trailblazers PR put out a number. It was the first time that a Blazers forward or center had had a, du- a, a double double with assists and rebounds since 1984. That's right. a long time. I mean, he has the now has the franchise record for assists by a center, which means Sabas never did it. And right. Sabonis is easily the best passing. As much as I want to nod to Bill Walton, Sabonis is easily the best passing center the Blazers have ever had. So for well, what he did, yeah. th- that's that's an incredible night. And I think this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier in, in what you were saying, taking advantage of his unique athletic ability and gifts. If you're going to stick him on a guy like Drummond who has the prototypical big man butt, who can, and you saw it a few times where he worked plumbly in down low, sealed him and just hit the jump hook over the top of him. I mean... There's nothing he can do about it. He doesn't have the physical stature, size, strength to keep somebody that big from getting where they want to. Now, if you deny that opportunity, which is something they were doing over the last couple of games, fronting the the the, uh, the post entry, playing it three quarter, trapping the the pick and roll, and taking that away, doubling from the baseline and forcing him to give it up. I mean, you're talking about Andre Drummond. This is not a guy who this this is Zach Randolph 2.0. I mean. Bigger. Yeah, yeah, just bigger version. Big butt and doesn't pass out of the post. So when he gets the ball, he's going up with it. So I really wish that I would have saw more aggression from the overall from the Blazers defense to help Plumlee out. But with the exception of last game, what he's been able to do on both sides of the floor made me wonder what, if any, if if it changed Portland's mind about what they're going to do with him in the offseason. I... You know, I don't know about that. I just I made myself sick talking to a friend of mine today. The two draft picks, just two draft pick, two draft slots away from having Lillard and Drummond <laughs> away from. Yep. Uh, you want to? You want worse? Lillard, McCollum, Aldridge, Drummond, and Nikola Batum. If you want Mo Harkless, you can probably still get him too. I mean, that that's just yeah, um, that's not okay. And it could have, I, I shouldn't say it could have happened because who knows? Maybe that those two draft slots were from eleven to nine were ungettable. And but the intimation was that the Blazers didn't like Drummond anyway. But <laughs> but can, I, I can you imagine that? Drummond and yeah, that's it, it, just wrong. Anyway, uh, don't expect Plumlee to defend Andre Drummond. No one does. Don't expect Plumlee to defend Demarcus Cousins. I'm not sure that I expect Plumlee to defend any decent center uh, with talent. That's that's not necessarily his bag. But I I do like that he has been a darn good Mason Plumley, and he, he looks more assertive and he looks more comfortable, much as Evan Turner did. And that is all you can ask. Now, um, speaking of defense, 
We should also mention Alfaruk Aminu is back, and the defense suddenly seemed to get a little better when he returned, which should surprise zero people. Occam's razor, <laughs> the easiest answer to why the defense sucks is because your best defender is out. There appears to be a little bit of that. Now it's not all the way better. Uh, it never was but at least it, it isn't regularly getting housed for an obnoxious amount of points. At least the Blazers have something of a chance. Yeah, and Aminu's been huge, particularly when he came back in that more aggressive defense. He was working in tandem with Plumley beautifully at times. Uh, those two guys were switching on the traps and, and picking up and blitzing the pick and roll, and their athleticism and length allowed them to get back and recover while denying passes. This allowed the Blazers to stay on matchups the right way. Uh, you notice it's particularly in transition defense when Aminu gets all the way back first, you're stopping a lot of the fast break buckets. It's something to be said about having a 6'9", 6'10", guy who's a great shot blocker at the rim to deter straight line drives right at the rim. So, like you said, it's, it's not exactly a surprise that, you know, insert the Blazers' best defensive player in Eureka, their defense gets better. Yeah. Nice for Aminu to be back. Nice to be at full strength. Okay, so we've talked around it for most of the podcast now. We talk about Damian Lillard. <laughs> First of all, let, let's revisit it for a second. Is is he the defensive problem? Is the, I mean, because it, it's kind of on people's lips. Some people can't say it. Uh, but, I mean... Is this the issue that Lillard is such a bad defender that he's just submarining the entire scheme? To an extent, yes, and it's one particular aspect. In the pick and roll, Damian Lillard gets caught on the screen 45% of the time. That's in essence saying that every time a team runs a pick and roll on him, they are now getting 50% picks on Lillard where he's taken out of the play by the pick man. Contrast yeah. that with CJ McCollum, 30%. That's a staggering and, difference. And you know what you do? If you don't get him on the first one, you cut him back, you reverse it yeah. and get him on the back one. And probability says if there's a one in two chance and you do it twice, it's going to happen at least once. And yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't understand. And by the way, this has been kind of an issue with Portland guards from time immemorial. Yeah. I mean, going back to the Nate McMillan days, they just never got, Oh God. I remember Sergio Rodriguez. Oh, that was, that was brutal. I mean, and it's just like all of a sudden they feel uh, picks are like flypaper to, to Portland backcourt. I've never understood it. I've never understood how athleticism uh, and maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe the scoring prowess is, overshadowing i don't want to say a lack of athleticism but look is lillard the quickest lateral guy in the league i don't think so i think you know he's he's one of the best scorers he's great forward and back left and right do you see him going left and right a lot is he one of those water bug guards he is not no. and maybe that shows up a little bit on defense but yeah you've got to do better than that the, the thing that has always kind of intrigued me with this situation it's something i've tracked for a couple years now in that he came into the league as arguably the most pick and roll ready offensive guard in recent memory there aren't many guys that have come into the league with that great a handle of how to run a pick and roll at the professional level. 
And we saw it from his rookie year. I mean, it's essentially why he won rookie of the year. But what I don't understand is how a guy who's so good at setting up those angles on offense allows himself to be caught by those exact same angles on defense. It's something in my head. I don't know if if it's just body positioning, feet positioning, or how he's taking on picks or what exactly is going on there. But it doesn't sound like a lot between McCollum and Lillard. But when you're talking about 15% difference, that's literally 50% more of the time than what McCollum is getting caught up on. And that translates. And when you're already not good at covering it, because McCollum's not fantastic. So you look at the way CJ gets over picks and he's about average. And you fall down to that point it's going to slide all the way down to your defense. And if you don't have plus defenders all the way down the board to make up for that, then it's not going to work. Now, this is why I, I kind of pull back from that and saying that Lillard can't be that guy. In isolation, Lillard's actually pretty decent. In the post, he may be one of the best post defenders among point guards in the entire NBA. That guy doesn't get moved by anybody. So you see these things pop up and you're like, it's not an inability to play defense. It's just something going on, particularly on the pick and roll, that's just not translating. Yeah, and I want to say this can get fixed. I mean, I think I think that Lillard understands this. I believe he's working at it. I, I believe he knows that this might well be the difference between a nice career and a championship career at the same time. It just doesn't seem like there's a lot of positive feedback where, you know, this starts happening right. And it translates into wins or this starts happening right. And it translates into attention, kudos, whatever it is. And frankly, he's already got most of everything else. So it's hard to see where, there's an easy way out of this considering he can have an entire career in which he is feated as one of the, well, the, one of this franchise's best players, if not the best player and one of the best, he'll, he'll make the hall of fame without ever having been forced to get around a screen. And I, I worry about that. Now let's, let's talk about this. A lot of the trade talk surrounding the Blazers has involved everybody but Lillard. Should Damian Lillard be included in that for the right player? Understanding nobody's going to give him away, but for the right player, would you consider moving him? Considering what we've talked about with defense, considering C.J. McCollum scoring 30 a game without him, uh, considering Alan Crabb not exactly emerging, but at least having the potential to, would you revolt if the Blazers traded Lillard. If you're talking upper pantheon top five player in the league, no. I, I, Which I, is what we, we do. That's obviously what we're saying. Yeah. We're not trading him for Paul Millsap. I no. mean, we're not, or anybody, anybody of that ilk. And by the way, I like Paul Millsap very much, but no, we're, I mean, we're talking big time players. If we're talking grand scheme of things, do I think it would happen? No. Do I think you should entertain if th- those kind of offers on the table? Absolutely. I, I, I've maintained, I've been you know, burned at the stake for saying, I've never thought that 
McCollum Lillard backcourt would work out in the long haul. And it's for exact for the exact reasons we're discussing right now. I love both of these guys as players. As just pure entertainment value. There aren't many guys more entertaining in the league than the way these two play offense. But you're seeing it materialize defensively that there's a shortcoming. You talked about how the team is small, a little bit finesse. Well, look around the league, and the only way you're winning with finesse is if you have, you know, four otherworldly finesse players, and like the Warriors, or you play with some finesse and a whole lot of power like the Cavs with LeBron James. I mean, that's that's really... You have to have one of these guys that is either so transcendent offensively and you've got a ton of them, or you have to have somebody that can just overpower a team and neither one of those guys are capable of doing that as of yet on either side of the floor. So if you're talking about pairing McCollum with, you know, a Boogie Cousins or a Paul George or a Jimmy Butler or any of these guys that are considered the you know, cream of the crop at their position and in the right age range, I think you have to at least entertain that, 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 that offer and that idea. Now, as far as w- whether or not, will it happen? No, not in a million years. Not, I don't think Damian Lillard will ever be traded let me, with a caveat under his current contract. He means too much to the organization from not just the points, rebounds, assists, and the box score, but the marketability, the recognition, uh, the goodwill he's built, the foundation that he has here in Portland, I, I, I don't think that you can overlook that in any way, shape, matter, or form. Yeah, I mean, I don't see any way this management trades him other than, as you say, reaching the end of the contract. So it's probably a moot point. But it, it, I think it's worth saying that those words have not been spoken in Portland much. And no. it's starting to be more acceptable to at least consider it now let's uh, let's finish up with some minor things uh that happened in the interim uh fastest gate uh cj mccollum told him to hush when apparently when he was giving motivational speeches i read this as just kind of unwritten rule of the locker room that if you're not playing you don't get to critique um you can help but there's a fine line between helping and lecturing and maybe Festus crossed it. Festus is also brand new. And if you're talking about effort and he's not on the floor, then you don't have a, a leg to stand on, so to speak, but um bump. Uh, <laughs> do, do you see do you uh, do you see any more th- to it than that or is just 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 one of those things? It's just one of those things, but honestly, I was surprised when I heard the names involved. Festus and CJ. I mean, yeah, I mean Everything I've ever heard from any player, coach, management, executive, whatever, that's been around Festus Azili has said the same thing. That, that guy's like the hardest, guy, hardest working, nicest, most effectual, loving, caring dude you could possibly imagine. And then CJ, who is, you know, he's got this image of this very, and he is, he's very professional, journalistic, but straight shooter. But you don't think you'd ever you can't really picture him being the guy in that locker room who's stepping up and telling Azili to sit down like if you would ask if if you were to take a poll from fans who do you think on this roster is the guy that's going to tell Azili to stand down I bet you CJ's name probably doesn't come up too high on that list that's why I'm thinking it's probably maybe was less than skillfully put or bad timing uh you know probably not a huge deal uh it's just yeah you don't 
do that. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, other guys, Noah Vonley. Uh, th- there's been some minutes for him. <sighs> Oy, I mean, what is there left to say about Noah Vonley? Can is we just anything... say the, the, the Nick Batum trade was a bad trade now? Can we, can, we, can we get to that point? Yeah, at some point, I think I'm going to do a feature piece on that spring slash summer. And that was pretty dark period. I mean, what what came of that was not much. And uh, yeah, Nick Batum, okay, granted, was he going to fit? No, although it's worth noting that the Blazers are now in the luxury tax for all the guys they traded... <laughs> in order to stay out of the luxury tax. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they, they traded for these moves for young players who were cheap so that they didn't have to be capped out and taxed out paying Robin Lopez, Nicola Batum, and et cetera. Um, raise your hand if you'd like to have Robin Lopez back. <laughs> I mean, I mean, granted, you know, I'm not a Lopez apologist. He was what he was. I mean, I, I love the guy, his personality, but it's well known at Blazers Edge that I didn't think he was going to be the savior. And I thought that he did well enough, not spectacularly here. And that's what he amounted to. Would you like well enough to happen right now? I would. Yeah. I mean, I don't mean this as a shot to, to Noah Vonley, but I mean, he was given what sixty-six games last season as a starter. That's that's an awful lot of time where you don't have to be the guy to kind of grow into that. And then he disappeared when he was pulled from the rotation and didn't really show anything more. Summer league, he struggled, and then early season this year, he had a couple games where there was a, a bit of a revelation. He was scoring, he was rebounding, he showed that nice little baby hook shot. And then he disappeared again. And now, really, the only time he's getting on the floor is in that late second quarter when the second unit's kind of rotating in and out and Aminu or Harkless isn't on the floor and he's out there with Myers, Leonard, Evan Turner, McCollum, Crab, this, you know, this lineup that they put together. And it's one of those things where you're not really aware that he's out there. He's working hard. He's trying to get rebounds. He's I haven't really seen him take a shot in a while. Um, but... At some point in time, it's it's like you you gotta do something. The thing is, the kid's still incredibly young. He's been in the league, you know, a couple years now, and it's he's still. I think he just turned twenty two. So I mean, there's time for him, but I, I don't know if it's gonna end up being here. Yeah, I mean, yes, there's time for him. There's time for Myers Leonard too. How many? Okay. The, the Blazers have got time, but it's it's becoming a more precious commodity with the, with this uh, contract obligation overall for the roster and for their star guards. Damian Lillard. It's too soon to say he's running out of time, but that clock is ticking. Not exactly on his career, but his tenure in Portland and his ability to make the most of his prime years. That starts now. You can't you can't wait five years for Noah Vonley, especially since he's not given any indication that he's worth waiting for. I mean, I'm sorry, but it just hasn't been happening for him. Nor Leonard consistently. Nor you know everybody at that bottom of the roster. You just cannot depend on and the one thing you need is somebody to depend on here and and the Blazers don't have it yeah no, I mean you look at what you're getting from those guys and it's really hit or miss and you, you touched on it perfectly and in that Lillard and McCollum they're entering their prime years the next three and a half four years are the 
peak years physically for these guys in the NBA. So it it's one of those things where it needs to happen now. <laughs> there's there's no time to wait. There's I mean the the building years are kind of were supposed to be two years ago, three years ago. If you're looking at Lillard and McCollum, that that was the foundational build that you're trying to get to to capitalize on what these guys can give you year in year out. So yeah, waiting on that clock, not something the Blazers can do right now. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, have they got? Are they still rebuilding? Of course they are. But the point being, they need to rebuild. They can't not rebuild. They can't wait. So yeah, and Von Ley is exhibit A of that. I mean, they, to me, the experiment with him is it's not done, but it's it's fading fast. Uh, Ed Davis, where is Ed Davis? What happened to Ed Davis? I mean, that's one that I still haven't been able to put a finger on. Ed Davis and Alfred Aminu last year were arguably Portland's best two defenders. Aminu yep. on the on the perimeter and Ed Davis in the interior. Ed Davis, while Damian Lillard was out, had I think two or three DNPs. Yeah, he can't find the floor. I mean, that's that's your veteran guy. That's supposed to be the guy that you can count on. I, I have no idea. You know, I, I keep hearing from, from people that maybe the additional weight he put on slowed him down. I I don't think he's that much bigger. And usually during the season, you end up losing that weight anyways. So I, I don't know what exactly is going on. And to, to compound that, you throw him off. He doesn't even get on the floor to show you whether or not he's, you know, still got it. So, I mean, he went from a guy that the Blazers could solely and sorely count on on a nightly basis to being below Noah Vonley, who we're sitting here talking about, you know, baby running out of time. What does that say about a Davis? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, this, this to me, may be the biggest mystery of the season. I, I can't put my finger on why the Blazers... I mean, obviously, there are answers to this. It's just hard to know without actually seeing him play. And he, and he's not he's not making the floor. But I would have sworn to you that Ed Davis would have been one of the foundational pieces, especially if the team was in as much chaos and needed a steady hand, and, and he's just not there. And I mean, okay, so look, partial answer, what do they want with their power forwards? They want floor spreading. I mean, whether they can do it or not, whether Al Farouk Aminu should be a floor spreader, that's up to debate, but that's where they want him, out at the three-point line. What, what do they want from their center? They want someone in the middle of the floor who can turn around hit a face-up jumper and pass the ball that is not ed davis either and that may be the issue he's the issue may just be he's just not mason plumley and he's not uh, myers leonard and he's not all farouk Aminu, and there you go uh, but it seems a shame to me that the system or whatever it is has passed him by because i like the guy an awful lot shabazz napier uh he has gotten some playing time what do you think of him you know, Bass is a guy that is kind of made me smile every time he gets on the floor because that guy is not lacking confidence at all. I mean, he gets on the floor and he, he's like, I belong here. Every time he gets a shot, there is zero hesitation in his mind. If he thinks he has a mismatch that he can take advantage and drive on, he takes it and drives. So I really like the decisiveness from him, and I think that's carried over from his college career at UConn. I mean, he's a guy who could, could who could consistently get buckets in college. So I think it's a skill that readily translates. And really, the way he played kind of gave me a little bit of hope that 
somewhere along the line, he, he could be more than just an every now and then backup and a, and a guy who could get on the floor and, and give you something on a nightly basis. I don't see him as the Blazers' answer to J.J. Barea or, or Nate Robinson, you know, one of those little spark plugs that comes off the bench that can get you a ton of points. But on a, I think on a night-to-night basis, I think he's a guy that, that could maybe do some things for you that could be good for the team in the long run. Yeah, uh, I, as you said, I like his attitude best of all. Uh, the, the devil may care kind of thing. It's something I think the, the Blazers need a little bit. I mean, look, Dave and, and CJ, they're cerebral guys, kind of. I mean, they're, you can see the wheels turning. I mean, and, and Dave gets his moments where he's just balling out there and he's, he's on a roll. That's fantastic, but sometimes I think they they think too much like the, there's a weight on their shoulders Alan Crabb feels like he's looking over his shoulder as does Meyer Le- Myers Leonard uh, uh, Shabazz Napier just brings something like he just bolts go <laughs> out there just look this is amazing look I get to shoot heck yeah I'm gonna shoot and you know if, if I miss it I'm gonna shoot again you're gonna remember my name and I like that for Portland uh, now Look, do do I think the Blazers are going to keep him? Do I think he's indispensable? I do not. But he at least has been kind of fun to see. And that's more than you can say for a lot about Portland in the last 13 of 17 losses. You know what? Maybe we should stop letting go of those second, third string undersized point guards because the last two that left have turned out to be pretty decent. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't don't you patty bills me. (laughs) I mean, Frazier's not not exactly a slouch right now. He may be the Pelican's second best player. Yeah, and then, yeah, I mean, you can even kind of Will Barton, too. I mean, he he had that kind of attitude. And and Will, okay, did he fit? Was he... I don't care. Was he was just fun to cog, watch. But yeah, I, that, that doesn't matter. It's like, would I like Will Barton back? You bet I would like Will Barton back. Because you know what? You wouldn't have any bench scoring issues if you had Will Barton back. It's just like, okay, one of the guards is checking out. Send Will in because he's he's just going to shoot it. He's just going to score. And that, yeah, Blazers could use a little of that too. Well, uh, as we close, we should remind everybody that Blazers Edge Night, uh, the tickets uh are in need of donating. We have people calling us. This is the night when we send underprivileged children and their chaperones to see the Trailblazers play. It's going to be March 9th, but February, beginning of February is the ticket deadline for donations. We're trying to get to 2000. We're not there yet. Click on the bottom of our post uh, on site on blazersedge.com. The very post that contains this podcast and most every other post also has a link where you can help. And uh, you, for a very modest cost, I mean, nine bucks a ticket in a lot of cases, can make the day, sometimes the year, of kids who otherwise wouldn't be able to see the Blazers play. So help us do that. Have about three to four weeks to get that done and we certainly hope that you will help us out and hey a little bit more positive energy a little bit of good juju can't hurt uh anything else dan that we need to cover before we go i mean if you had to think about it another way if you want your own selfish reasons you you, you get joel Embiid coming to town yeah yeah and it, it could be nerland's noel you know revenge game oh there you go Hey, why don't we? Why don't you try to guarantee that? Get us to two thousand, and we'll make sure the Blazers trade for Noel without losing a starting guard. All right. Well, for Dan Morang, I am Dave Deckard. Uh, we are happy that you joined us. It's good to be back with you, and we will see you again next week on the Blazers Edge podcast. <laughs>